You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Don't you love sound men when they do it right? Right now, you are not very high on our list. You did wake up my crowd, so I will pay you more for that later. That's what we need. Well, it is Mother's Day, and we want to get with the program. Uh, I'm uh, Terry Sparks, and like I said, we've been together for a long time, uh, John and Ann and Sandy and I, and we're dear friends, or, or, uh, we basically raised our kids together in a lot of respects. When I served him for six years in San Angelo, Texas, and then he sent me out to plant a church, and he's been meddling in my life uh, on and off for all these years. And uh, sometimes I like his meddling, and other times I do not. <laughs> but uh, again, it's good that you got someone that can meddle in your life. I tell him everything. You've got to have accountability in your life. you got somebody that you can talk to. Well, I don't know anybody knowing my business or my secret sins. Well, Jesus knows it. He's not, he's not surprised by it. And you just need someone to be able to help you in life. You don't just tell the neighbor down the street. You need to tell somebody that has some spiritual maturity. They won't judge you. They'll help you. Why? Because they probably struggle with the same stuff you're struggling with. And uh, that's what we're about. We're about trying to help one another. This is a rock-free zone. Uh, No one gets to throw a rock at anybody. Because if we did, we'd get stoned to death ourselves because uh, nobody perfect in here. Are we in the right crowd? Good, good. Well, all right. Uh, I convinced my wife to go to Asia with me, and we were there for 27 days. We went to uh, Cambodia, Phong Penh, Cambodia, and uh, went to Buram, Thailand, and also to Chiang Rai, Thailand, and then went to Hanoi, Vietnam. My main thing is there, I now I take Bible colleges all over the world. We have over 160,000 students worldwide. And we go and we give them a, a two-year curriculum free of charge for the pastors, train them how to, how to, how to raise up a Bible college, and then uh, be able to go from there. So we give them initially, and then they're able to go and start reproducing that. They charge their students, so it will... Pre- perpetuate itself from then till Jesus comes. And that's why I love doing that. Uh, it's not a fun job because basically I have to teach them how to do uh, student, uh, student files and everything else. I don't get to preach a lot, but what you're doing is you're reproducing the Word of God in a country where over, I believe that the statistic is like 95% of the pastors worldwide have no training. They just shoot from the hip. And this is a tremendous, tremendous program. Also, uh, we're about to, I'm about to go to northern Nigeria. Amen. My visa's there. It's coming through. They said it was going to be three weeks, but no, in Jesus' name, agree with me that the visa will come through. And, uh, and then 
you guys, this house is sending me to London and then to Kenya, where I will be preaching at a conference, be preaching at a local church there in London that's connected uh, there in Kenya, and uh, we will go visit orphanages, do conferences, and preach there. And I'll be seeing what God's doing there and bringing you guys back a report. Amen. Amen. The beauty is, is that you get to participate in that financially. Uh, so if you want to give in the future, uh, then you'll be able to, to write in there uh, missions or Kenya probably, I guess would be the best thing to do, write Kenya. And we'll be able to go over there and give, be first class, leave a gift, minister to them, help them. And uh, you'll hear lots of uh, opportunities for you to do that. You know, your money that comes, you went to, you sent me to Asia. You're helping send me to Nigeria. And then from, from there, I will go to Albania in August. And then from there, we will go to Uganda and then to Ghana. And it'll be nine countries this year. I did nine countries last year. And I do that basically, I don't know how I do it because I'm not... Really, connect. so you go from senior pastor to hey you. Uh, <laughs> it's it's it's. Uh, I don't have any great big donors. I don't have anybody does stuff. My son gives me a pile of money. Says, Dad, if you can get, uh, you find money, spend it on yourself. If you want to, or if you want to go to the world and do that, I'd rather go to the world and go on vacation. Because they're hungry. They're starving. And where we're going to northern Nigeria, it's uh, pray for safety. As soon as we land, we have, uh, we have security because they're still in conflict, Muslims and Christians. Muslims still killing Christians in northern Uganda. Uganda I mean, excuse me, northern Nigeria. People don't even want to go there. I mean, north, the, the Nigerians don't even go to northern Nigeria. But the church is there. And they need support. The Bible says go into all the world if it's safe. I've drugged this dear lady in places that, dear Lord Jesus, I was like, and, and we've never felt afraid at any one time. This will be, I think, the 39th country or if I, when I get Nigeria down. All right, let's get with this, shall we? It's Mother's Day, and I've got to say a little bit about because Pastor John, or Dr. John, hey, you, told me, he said, he said, hey, he said, do what you want to do. I said, well, all right, I got this perfect Mother's Day. As soon as, as, soon as he, I was told that I was going to be here, I said, hey, I, I got this perfect message. I put a little bow around it. It was perfect. Shut it down about 1030 last night, and then it got changed. <laughs> so who knows what's going to come out, but it's, 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 it's going to be good. And, you know, one of the things that we have to understand, because I think it's really prophetic that, that Miss Ann was pointed out as being mom because there's a shortage of spiritual mothers. You can say who your spiritual father is, most of you can, but how about your spiritual moms? And, you know, who wants, who wants a, a, just a same-sex church? That's weird. You don't, that's just weird. We don't even want to talk about that. But think of it. We got Ann Holler that's raised up Jennifer Miller, Jennifer Holler, Heather Holler. 
Sandy Sparks, she's made a, she's raised a Misty Westland, Crystal Sparks. And, and think of how many lives that those younger women are changing. It, it, it amazes me the influence that a mother has. All of us has been influenced by our moms. My mother's gone on to be with the Lord, and she was told not to have me because it, it could, it, it, well, basically it could kill her if she would have had me. Thank God she didn't. She went ahead and had me. Amen. Yeah, some of you are thankful for that. Others says, well, <laughs> and when you see a woman in ministry, there is conflict. I have actually seen it happen. People come into my church. They found out that my daughter-in-law or daughter was going to preach, and they would leave. Women. Women would leave because they did not believe in women preachers. Uh, well, there's two types of people who have a problem with women preachers, jealous women and insecure men. And that's basically it which none of you are. Praise God. So pat yourself on the back. All right. Father, we thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit here tonight, this morning. And Father, I pray that you will minister to each and every heart. I know I've got a word here. I know I'm on assignment. And Lord, I pray that you'll minister to everyone. Holy Spirit, move, sir, as you will. Impart to me. Help me. Because Lord, I want to be able to do this as you have led me to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. When mama ain't happy, nobody happy. Nobody will be happy if mama's not. She comes in the house, she's mad. Listen, everybody's looking for a place to go. <laughs> there was times when my wife, she was a neat freak early on in her, uh, she was, well, she was a young bride, her children, she'd go to cleaning house. It was like all hell came to our house when she started cleaning house because she was an angry cleaner. An angry cleaner, meaning that you shouldn't have messed it up in the first place. This is it's dirty and it's your fault. So she was angry. My son, he was young. He would he would vacuum, and if she found one speck of dirt, she'd make him do the whole thing all over again. His wife loves her today because he is an immaculate house cleaner, can do great things. So, you know, but but Mama isn't happy. And what mama needs more than anything else is peace in her home. Nothing worse than having drama everywhere you go. And sometimes children have a way of stirring that up. Husbands are stupid, say the wrong things. Trouble comes, and it's up to sometimes a mom to bring about a peace. You know, my, my wife can make me madder than anybody on the planet, or she can calm me down quicker than anybody else. It's her option. She can do it either way. Uh, and the, when we look at our lives, how, how many times have we been robbed of our peace? How about how many times have we been robbed of our joy? We have something that the world does not have. And Jesus gave it to us. He, it's a gift, and it's recorded in John 14, 27. And it says this, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So when you have a troubled heart, you're doing something wrong. When you have conflict in your soul, something's amiss because Jesus has given you something. What's He given you? Come on, church family, what's He given you? So if He's given you peace, then what's the problem? Well, I, I sometimes just give my peace away. But we give our peace away in traffic. Yeah. 
We give our, listen, I have given my piece away sitting in a shopping line at Walmart. There's all, I mean, there's all kinds of things where we just begin to just give our peace away. Something that is so dear and so empowering, and yet we just give it away. Apostle Paul told us this in Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we know we have righteousness, peace, and joy, hallelujah, in the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful thing. It's ours. It belongs to us. So we also know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're told to say, let the weak say, I'm strong. We're equipped, right? We're equipped to do great things for God, to walk around with a great big grin, overcoming the world. Yeah, how's that going for you? Amen. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called into one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, and let that peace rule as an umpire. That's the word rule actually means umpire. So the umpire what? Calls the play. And that's what peace is to do in our life. It calls the play. It determines how you're going to react in the situation. Dear God in heaven, I pray, Lord, let me respond, not react. I get so upset at myself when I react. And I am overcoming in Jesus' name. Because sometimes I talk to people in traffic. <laughs> so many dumb drivers out there. I have never understood in my life why someone that wants to drive 10 miles under the speed limit wants to drive in the fast lane. Can't understand it. And if you do that, may Lord God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> One guy said, well, I pay taxes like everybody else, so I get to drive anywhere I want any, at any speed I want. Well, you know, you're rebellious and need to move over. <laughs> so the problem that we have is we saw often we let, we let worry and fear come in and steal our joy. And if Satan can steal your joy, he can steal your strength. He can lose, you can lose it all. Jesus came to give us Zoe life. The devil... He's the opposite. He wants to come in and he wants to kill your joy, rob your peace, and destroy your health. He's after you. He wants you. Now, in the past, I have, I have been an A-type personality. You can be an A-type personality and be a janitor. You'd have an A-type personality and actually not even have a job. You're just all jacked up. You're A-type. That means that, what's that means you're a push, 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 push. And I've been driven a lot of my life. Driven. Driven, not led. God wants you to be led, not driven. And I get, I was impatient, frustrated, and you know what? At the age of 37, I had a heart attack. Because that kind of living will kill you. And God has not designed you to walk around with worry and frustration and pressure. It's not part of His plan. So today, we're going to talk about how to fight for your peace and joy. I want to inspire you today not to worry. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. 
because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings or the same problems and difficulties are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Humble yourself. Man, <laughs> sounds easy, doesn't it? Set aside your self-righteous pride. Give yourself a lower rank. In my younger years, especially after Christ the Nations, I wanted a title. I wanted a title. And so I finally got a title and I was elder. I was one of the youngest elders in the church. Oh, man, I was so great, full of myself. Jesus, God in the flesh, humbled himself and took a towel, not a title, and washed his disciples' feet. A real servant of God carries a title, carries a towel, and he's always ready to serve. Man, sounds good, doesn't it? See, see, titles don't qualify you. The gifts of the Spirit qualify you. Love qualifies you. Faith qualifies you. You are anointed by God on this planet to serve others. I could stop right here and preach and make Pastor Ann very happy. Because she needs help. These leaders need help. Do you know that most churches are run by 10% of their congregation? 10%. Most churches survive on 10% of those people that tithe. God's called you to serve. How do you do that? By humbling yourself. Well, I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to clean toilets. I'm not going to sit out in the parking lot and wave at people. That's stupid. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Submit to your pastors, your leaders. See, the truth is this is wonderful because when you're submitted to authority, you have authority. If you're not submitted to authority, you have no authority. You can walk around. I don't care how muscular you are, how big mouth you are. You carry little weight in the kingdom of God. Demons aren't even concerned about you because you're not submitted. You're rebellious. You do what you want when you want, and you're unaccountable in every aspect. Amen. Preach it, brother. Because huh? I have learned this. I, as, a, as a pastor, I found out many times when you give someone a title, they quit doing what they were doing the first time to gain the title. I'm elder now. I don't do nothing. I'm over everybody else in here. So you, hey, you do me. Hmm? Huh? An elder will function as an elder with or without a title. Yes. A pastor will pastor with or without a title. A deacon will deke with or without a title. Yeah. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, under His mighty active power, and understand that Jesus will lift you up. He will exalt you. Jesus is, gives you wisdom. He provides for you. He is your righteousness. Humble yourself knowing that He he is everything that you need. You need Him and Him alone. I believe that well, I thought I knew about humility. I'm a pretty laid back guy, humble. I'm not full of myself, but hey, come on. 
if we're honest, we're all a little bit brats. <laughs> uh, and I am somewhat of a brat. I was the youngest, and I was a brat. The, the thing that I found out is, is that as I pastored through the years over these decades, and then the Lord began to deal with me to transition the church, transition the church to my son, because I no longer had vision for the church. It wasn't that I was done, too old. I just no longer had vision for the church. And over a period of about three years, God began to deal with me to do that. I knew there would be a cost. I didn't know it would be as expensive as it was. Because once you become senior pastor, senior leader, a part of everything, to walking off the platform, no longer involved in church in any way, you lose your identity. And everything changes. I, I'm a man of faith, but if I have to be honest with you, I have had congestive heart failure and was healed of congestive heart failure. And they walked through that over these months that I was healed. And I'll put this transition right up there with that. Because it was difficult. I began to be offended because I wasn't honored like I thought I should be honored. I was forgotten on some things. And you know, you can talk about humility until somebody <laughs> doesn't put you in the position that you think you need to be in. And you know what I found out? God was behind every last bit of it. He was. I'm a faith guy. devil didn't do that. No. God did. And you, you know what started coming up out of me? Some stuff that needed to be dealt with. Because all of my business and my activity and my doing the will of God has subdued it and kept it passive all those years until it was just me and Jesus. And then lo and behold, childhood stuff that you thought was done, starts coming to the forefront. And I found out this, humility is not fun. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, because I, I said, so my, my elder said, Pastor, don't do this. The church is great. Everything's good. Just stay with it. I said, it's not about me. It's about the next generation. It's about reaching the millennials. It's about the next generation. So we made the transition. And it was God. There's no doubt about it. But I actually had a conversation with my wife. I says, if I could go back, being self-centered as I am, I said, I would not obey God. <laughs> I did that kind of tongue-in-cheek. But thank God, His goodness, when you really, really come to a place of humility, what a place of power. Who cares? I don't have to impress anybody. And I don't have to show up for meetings, board meetings, and do all that stuff. Make all these decisions, be disappointed who was there, who wasn't there. 
how much the offering was, how much it wasn't. Life's good. But it all comes back to this humility. See, when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the Scripture says He will exalt you. God will promote you. God will prosper you. God's favor will surround you. Everything you put your hand to begins to prosper. When, you, when your natural fake strength fails, and guess what? God comes in and He becomes your strength. Humility in transitions. It's difficult. You see a lot of men when they lose their job go crazy because they no longer know who they are. Make transitions, they retire. Some of them are dead in five years because they don't know who they are. We are believers. Jesus Christ is our Lord. It's not what, what I do that makes me who I am. It's who I serve that makes me who I am. God will exalt you. Now here's the problem in due time. Uh, it's not like the time of the day. It's the Greek word kairos. And it's, it's, it's God will exalt you at His time. At the right time. At the perfect time. See, when you begin to pray about your destiny and fulfilling, you fulfilling that destiny, then God begins, to, he, He's going to work. He'd been working on that, your destiny before you were even born. Just like He was at work in Joseph. Now Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Rejected. He was accused of attempted rape, although he was innocent. Man, oh man, talk about a bad deal. He was thrown into prison. God had given him a dream. But he was cocky at 17 and telling his older brothers, you all going to bow down to me. And they hated him for it. And because of he was, he was not humble and just told all that he had. I mean, if you think of it, you're just out there, all you got your brothers, you get a dream from God. I really think that God set him up. I, I know that people don't agree with that, but God says, okay, all right, you're going to be full of yourself. You can't be full of yourself and me do what I want to do in your life, son. You hear me? You can't be full of yourself. My way. What do you do with your children when they do that? Huh? Huh? Well, what do you do with your children when you do that? What, you know? Hopefully you take them outside and beat their air in. Don't let them get away with that kind of stuff. Or their proverbial sit them in the corner. That's really going to help. <laughs> They're just going to get mad at you anyway. Exactly. See, he, he, he had, God had great things for this, this boy to do. And he was, you know, he, he, he received a dream at 17 years old. Think of it when you were 17. Man, at 17 I had a 1968 fastback Mustang with a 390 engine with a Holly dual-line carburetor. I could turn that thing sideways in the road going 40 miles an hour. <laughs> Smoke them babies. I was full of myself. And you know what? When you grow up, you take a lot of knots on your head. Things don't go your way. You realize that you're not as bulletproof as you thought you were. But one of the things about Joseph is, is he, he was able to continue being optimistic. He was able to stay in his faith, keep his dream alive. And, uh, and we find that in, in due time, because God has a plan. Now, in around about Genesis 40, 
he's walking through, Joseph is walking through the prison that Potiphar actually put him in. Potiphar put him in prison. Then he says, I want you to take care of these two friends of mine that they're being put in prison. Watch after them. Yeah, okay, you put me in prison. You know I didn't try that with your wife, but you did it because she nagged you to. And, and now then, you think I'm going to take care of your friends? Sure, I'll take care of your friends because I'm in charge of the prison. But what did he do? He was walking through the prison and he looked at the butler and the baker and he saw that they were sad. You're in prison. Why wouldn't you be sad? <laughs> it's not a good prison either. It's not a federal prison. This is a, this is a prison that we're, well, let's just move on. Prison was bad. And Joseph saw that they were sad. He said, why are you guys sad today? Duh, we're in prison. No, he didn't, they didn't say that. He said, well, we've had dreams. We've had dreams, and we don't know what the dreams mean. So he said, hey, tell me the dreams. I'll interpret them. So what Joseph did is Joseph, out of an act of kindness, interpreted the dreams. The problem was that the, you know, the, the, the butler was released and the baker was executed. That was the way he interpreted the dreams. And he told the butler as he left, please don't forget me. I'm in prison unjustly. What did the butler do? He forgot him because that's the way we roll. When we get free, well, we just move on. And, uh, and I believe that God had an appointed time. Because about that time, two years later, how long? Two years later, serving in the stinky prison, working on a bad attitude, God says it's promotion time. It's promotion time. I, I think it's just crazy that God used an act of kindness to promote him. What if he'd not? Say, hey, you're sad, big deal. Glad you're sad. You deserve being sad. I don't like Pharaoh. Tell him I don't like Pharaoh. I'm not, I'm not Pharaoh, but Potiphar. Tell him I don't like him. I don't care. No, but he saw and he responded. And you know, sometimes we are one act of kindness away from our destiny. Doing something for someone that can't do it back for us. Joseph. Well, we know that Joseph humbled himself, and it took 22 years from the time he was 17 to the time that he was promoted. 22. Don't sit there and try to... He's, I saw his mind go to work. In it. You can correct me later. Was it 22? <laughs> How many years was it? Okay, I thought you were going to... His little mind started going. I went, okay. <laughs> Humble yourself, and God will exalt you. It's our destiny to help others. As we're helping others, we don't ever quit on our own dreams. See, I believe that God has, has a, a appointed time for promotion. But His promotion is not like your promotion. His promotion is this, is that you put others before you. This is what this church does. This church promotes others. It takes people that nobody else wants and makes a big deal out of them. That's a big deal. When you do that, 
When you honor the people that have never received honor, Mary, a wife that walks in here is, tra is trash talked by her husband every night. She walks into church not dressed like she should be dressed. Kids aren't behaving well. She's just trying to survive. This church takes them, loves them, and ministers to them. How many of you want to be a part of a church like that? I mean, it's, come on. Well, hey, that doesn't look good. They need to do. They, they need to. They need to do something more with the children. They need to. Hey, you can judge all you want to, or you can get, get in here, and get your hands dirty, humble yourself. Humble yourself. I believe that God is is puts a magnet around us and it just says, hey, blessings come to me when you begin to walk in humility. It's something that God does for us. Cast your care. The Word of God tells us to cast all your care, all your worry upon Jesus, for He cares for you. If you have a difficulty too heavy to carry, Jesus is inviting you to give it to Him. He wants to carry your burdens. Take all your worry all the stress, and give it to Jesus. Jesus is inviting you to this morning to live a worry-free life from this point on. How many, how many people we have that want to do that? Worry-free life. This point until Jesus comes. So we see that, the, that we have the ability to live a stress-free, worry-free life no matter what's going on in our life. Life's not perfect. Stuff happens to everybody. I don't care if you're a billionaire or whether you're just barely getting by, same stuff comes down. Well, money to solve my problems. No, it won't. Your problem is not your problem. Your problem is that you're not, you're not passing it all on to Jesus. That's the biggest problem. So what is causing you to worry? What is causing you to stay up at night? What is that thought that you go to bed with and you wake up with? What is that thing that's greater than the power of God? Casting all your care. Describes any difficulty that causes you to be concerned or fearful. Cast whatever is causing you to worry. What thoughts are keeping you up at night? What negative thoughts are stealing your joy? What thoughts are stealing your peace? What thoughts are causing you to live in fear? See, God's got promotion in his, on His agenda for you in humility. But there's all kinds of things that's after your peace and your joy. Care defined means this. It actually gives you a, a, a picture of a torn fabric. Something that's so frayed that it can't be sewn back together. You ever hear this comment, I'm all torn up inside? All torn up. It means you're afraid. Um, I, I, you lose your peace and your joy, and you, you, you can't seem to come, you can't get past the problem, the tragedy, the difficulty, the bad news, the divorce, the death of the spouse. Whatever it is, gnaws at you and frays you. Your faith is under attack. You, you, you become overly concerned about what could happen. What could happen? As a matter of fact, there's times that you lay down at night and you get a, a free DVD from the devil. 
And he plays out scenarios in your mind of bad things that can happen. That is demonic and it is not from God. Anytime you have a negative feeling about someone else, or you feel like God will has run away from you and He won't perform, won't won't take care of you. You are not hearing God. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The Greek word, uh, sorry, I said. Now then, it it it's almost like uh, when things like that are going. It's it's like a distant storm, living in tornado Oklahoma. You know, we all have the ability to be afraid of the storm. But it's so far off, but yet it's coming. And what happens, you seem to have a tendency to watch it. Now that we just look at, watch it on the the iPhones, smartphones, we just kind of check it out and see how close it is. Distant, possibly coming, possibly destroying. In Mark 4, we talk talk about the parable of the sower. And the Word of God is sown but it's sown here among thorns. I think it's around verse 19. And the thorns, I believe, represent the difficulty of life. And what we do is the people hear the Word and the cares of this world choke the Word, choke the promises, steal the joy, steal the peace until you become unfruitful. When life becomes all about you, you ain't worth nothing. The devil knows it. Because you, you're inward. You pray all about you and everybody, nothing about anyone else. All your monies and resources go to you, nothing to help anyone else. Life becomes about you. And that is a lie from hell. Because you are a gift to this planet and God has put something majestic in you and you are in this church and they're doing everything they can to draw that out so they can draw you into your destiny so that you can fulfill what God has called you to do to help suffering humanity, to preach this wonderful gospel here and, you know, around you, wherever you go. And it might, you know, sometimes you have to use words. But ultimately, it's you living your life before others. That's what God's called us to do. So, so how many of us, you know, we go through all kinds of problems and difficulties, and it seems like God is so distant. One day, Jesus told his disciples, let us get on the boat and let us go to the other side. Terry, yes, sir, give your church away. (laughs) Sounds good, Lord. Yeah, wonderful. Do whatever you want me to do. Go into that business. Whatever God tells you to do, let's go to the other side. And then the storm begins to rage. God tells you to do something, and the storm comes. The disciples, here they were seaworthy men, and they decided they would take care of the storm themselves. Unfortunately, after a season of time, they realized the storm was bigger than them, and they went down, and they woke up Jesus. And they said this. Now, none of us have ever said this. Master, don't you care? (laughs) That we're going to die. Don't you care? 
hey, I'm not going to ask for hands, but I think all of us sometimes in our life, it felt like that God didn't care. Jesus, he was so upset about it. Been went from asleep on a pillar to talking to a storm. And Jesus said, peace be still. Peace be still. And immediately the ocean went calm and the wind ceased. And they said, who is this? Who can this be? See, I've said this before. I just love this. Why did they wake Jesus up? They'd never seen him calm a storm before because they didn't, they didn't really believe that he, when he did it, they, were, they marveled. So why did they wake him up? They were afraid. Yes, they were. But what was he going to do that they couldn't do? Because Jesus was not a seaman. He was, they knew that he was a carpenter. He didn't know how to do anything about the ocean. Because when you're taking on water, everybody takes a bucket. And everybody starts bailing. And I believe they were sitting there handing Jesus a bucket. Is Jesus on board with you? Did he say that if you ask him into your heart, he'd never leave you nor forsake you? Is that the way this goes? You in a storm? Life's not good? Difficulties beyond what you can control? Is Jesus on board? What would have happened if the disciples not, had not woke Jesus up? They just continued to fight the storm and not woke Jesus up. What would happen? Jerusalem Times, the next day, would have read, Jesus and the disciples die at sea. But that's what happened? Is that what ended up happening? See, that boat's unsinkable, isn't it? See, God didn't send the storm, did he? Because Jesus couldn't rebuke the storm if God would have sent it. Something else sent it. But it had, it had nothing, it had no, zero. Didn't even, a, even it come on Jesus's, uh, he, he was so unconcerned about it, he was asleep. You think he felt the rocking? Probably. Think he knew what was going on? Definitely. Did he know what was coming? Absolutely. And see, one of the things that I find so intriguing is, is that afterwards he says, why are you fearful? Why is it you have no faith? Well, duh, Lord, you didn't call and you didn't give us, you know, storm coming 101. <laughs> Nowhere in Scripture do we find that where Jesus said, hey, come on, guys, we're going to go out and we're in calm storms today. Didn't do it. But he had taught them authority. Didn't he? He didn't teach him how to stand, didn't he? He did teach him how to take authority over the devils. And he was upset that they did not take authority. Hey, you guys could have calmed this storm yourselves. I've already given you authority. You calm it. So next time a tornado, make sure you got faith, comes rolling down your way, talk to that thing. Really? Oh, that's really pushing it. Well, that's the deal. We need to push it. We need to talk to stuff. Speaks peace to your storm. My daughter-in-law, it was a hot August day and she was 
my my grandchildren were small, still in their car seats. She was all somewhere in car broke down. It's hot. Texas hot. Oklahoma hot. It's hot. And I got my grandson and my granddaughter. They call each other Bub. She's Bub, he's Bub. They both have the same name. That's what they call Bub. And Braley is a little bit on the dramatic side. And Rylan is just a boy, cool, calm, collective. And she's in the back seat. She's hot. She's sweaty. She understands that they are stranded. And this comes out of her. We're all going to die. <laughs> few seconds later, bub, bub, we ain't going to die. It's just hot. <laughs> and that's the way we are. Sometimes we're a little bit too dramatic. And then the subject changes. He goes from casting all your care, and then the scripture tells us, to be sober. Uh, all right. Uh, is alcohol mentioned here? No. Uh, that makes no sense. Because context, there's no context of drunkenness here. Right? The subject is care, not alcohol. Why is he telling us to be sober. And then one day I realized you can get drunk on worry. And when you're drunk on worry, you can't think straight. Your judgment's impaired. You can't make good decisions. You become lethargic and you want to quit. And your imagination goes crazy. And bad things that could happen. You're like Braley. We're all going to die. Drunk on worry. The problem is the church is a little bit drunk. She's drunk. She's got more faith in the bad things that can happen than the good things that can happen. And today I stand commissioned by God to change that. The thing is, is that that kind of worry comes after you to steal your faith. It's after something more than your faith. It's after your destiny. And if it gets your destiny, it gets your children's destiny. Your grandchildren, it's after something. And fear will steal from you. Worry will rob you. It's, it's actually believing for something bad to happen. Fear, I'm believing that something bad will happen. Faith is anticipating something good to happen. Oral Roberts said that. Well, 
believe that something good is going to happen to you, to your loved ones. It's on its way. Heaven's busy about getting something good to you. You live by faith. God is for you. He cares for you. He will exalt you, promote you. Something good is going to happen to me today because God will, is busy about exalting me at his right time. And I have faith for that. And this is to cast, casting. Well, when we look at casting, it's, it's probably it gives us the picture of a fisherman. It's what we do around here. Lake Texoma is not far. People go, go over to the river and they want to, want to fish. And they, we look and we see this casting. And, it's a, and a fisherman does this. He casts his line off as far as he can and then he reels it back gingerly little by little, waiting for that special little tug so he can bring it in. And that's what we do with our problems. Lord, I'm so tired of this. I'm casting my care and we throw it out as far as we can. And then we start talking to our friends and our relatives about our the problems and difficulty. We call our the, the uh, everybody that listen to us, and next thing you know, it's right back on us. And then the pressure gets so great that it's come to prayer once again, and we pray and we cast the care away from us as far as we possibly can, yet another time, and we repeat and repeat and repeat and that's not what God has called us to do you're to cast everything that concerns you listen to me my family listen everything that concerns you upon Jesus for he cares for you he sees your tears he feels your pain he understands the difficulty. Yeah, but I, 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 I caused my own pain. I, I was unfaithful to my spouse. I lost my family. I caused my own pain. I was addicted to drugs and I lost my job. I caused my own pain. Cast it all yeah. over Unto Jesus. I love the Lord because He never runs a spreadsheet on you and says, Is He worth the money? Yes. I'm looking for the bottom line. Is Terry the most bang for the buck or should I go to someone else? He never looks. He never runs a spreadsheet on you. He's taken into account every sin that you've committed or ever will commit and He calls it null and void. It's forever forgiven. Yeah, you did stupid. Get over stupid. <laughs> Learn from stupid. Humble yourself. But don't condemn yourself. There's a difference. If we look at the biblical meaning of casting, it's to take a heavy load too difficult to bear and forcefully put it over onto a beast of burden which would be a donkey or a camel of the day today, it would be a pickup truck. <laughs> That's what we would do. 
But it gives us a, it's, you know, you know, we're not calling the Lord Jesus a donkey, but it does give us a good picture of we're able to take something too heavy to carry and put it over onto something that can carry it for us. So how many burdens can Jesus carry? You think about it now, because I'm trapping you. Think of it. I'm pushing you to a place of faith of where you have to make a decision. How many can he take? Don't you sit back there and Christian me and tell me, he can just take them all. The Lord Jesus can take them all. Listen, listen to me. How many can he take this morning? Can he, do, can he take one, two, three, four, all, everybody? See, the problem, this is the situation. Jesus can carry every burden of every person on the planet and not even break a sweat. He can carry them all. Every single one. He's offering today to be your burden bearer. He can carry every burden. Cast the weight, the fear, the problem, the difficulty, the addiction, that sinful habit you can't break. No matter how many times you felt guilty for it. No matter how many times you've called out to God, I hate this. You know what addiction is? Addiction is not being able to get enough of something you hate. You want it free from it. And God says, give it to me. No, I got I to fix this. I got to give it to me. Humble yourself. Give it to the Lord. Moms, how many of you have walked through the grocery store and you're in tow with your children and they're there to help you shop? And isn't it good that they put all of the things that children want within reaching distance as you walk through? their grocery store, especially up at the cash register. When you're trying to do money, cart, and because they, they seethe what it is, they'll be so frustrated, they'll say, just get it and shut up and let's go. Because they are marketers. That's what they want to do. But now you're walking through the grocery store and you got little Timmy, and Timmy wants to help you. You're about, to, you're about to put in a 10-pound bag of beans, and Timmy says, I want to help, Mom, and give me the beans. Says, Timmy, there's no reason to put the beans in the cart. Uh, I mean, and you don't have to carry them. I'm going to put them in the cart. It's no load for me. I can push it around with no effort. It's no more effort for me to push 10 pounds of beans. No, Mama, I want to help you. Let me help. So little Timmy takes the beans, and he walks for mile to owl, to owl, thinking that he's helping. How smart is little Timmy? Hmm? Mom's trying to teach him a little lesson. It's just give me the beans, boy, and you can, well, maybe you could pull that around and not get the toys, but nonetheless, just let me carry it. Finally, and only when he gets to the end of himself, because you can only hold something for so long till you're totally exhausted that you got to give it back to mom. 
And today, some of you are totally exhausted. And it's time to give it to Jesus. He's never meant for you to carry the weight that you carry. And if you're tired, and if you're exhausted, and if you're frustrated, and if you've lost your peace and your joy, you're trying to carry it yourself. And God's never designed you to carry that kind of load. You weren't created to walk in that. You know, the thing that I find is that, again, we have problems. And I can preach this wonderful message, but some of you someday will walk into and get a bad report from a doctor. The company is downsizing. The spouse, after all these years, finds someone else. I pastored. I don't understand people, but I, don't, I am a people. I don't understand my own self. So, but those things happen. And that's what we exist as a church, to try to help people through those kind of things. That's why this message is coming to you is because I want you to be equipped that whatever comes down your way, that you'll understand this beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus cares for you and he will carry every burden you have. Every single one at any time. I get tired of carrying the load. Aren't you tired? Have you had enough of it? Well, I'm a man, man. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You cry in a closet, get in a fetal position. You know what life's bad. You can't do it. You can't do it without Jesus. You need him. Today, I want to encourage you to, to cast your burden over to Jesus. He wants to lighten your load. The problem that I found is, is that I live with a Mrs. Optimistic. She gets up in the morning and she's in great mood. Whistles, never depressed, always in a good mood. And then I, pastor of the church, bring her big problems. And I attempt to share these problems with my wife in a way that she can be concerned <clears throat> as I am about the situation. And then, have you got one of those people in your life? They say, <clears throat> in the midst of the problem, after you've explained it in detail and how impossible it seems, that they say, give it to Jesus. <laughs> give it to the Lord. Don't you just want the Christian slap those folks? <laughs> just hit them, knock them down. I'll tell you, give it to Jesus. I'll, you don't, no, let me explain one more time so you can worry with me. Because <laughs> that's what we want. You get weighed down like I get weighed down, then maybe we can weigh this thing out ourselves. No, she's right. Give it. To Jesus, an elderly lady who lived 100 years was asked for advice on living a happier life. And she said, 
I used to worry about everything. The truth is I've had a lot of trouble, most of which never have happened. <laughs> worry, is worry is wasting today's time on yesterday's troubles and tomorrow's problems. Worry can cause heart attacks, strokes, high blood pressure, depression. It can make it difficult to sleep at night. Worry causes sickness. Worry creates mean, judgmental people. Worry makes you work harder at life. You're tired all the time. Worry steals your faith. It robs your joy. It steals your peace. It attempts to destroy your hopes and your dreams. And when you're drunk on worry, your faith can't work. No matter how hard you try, because you ain't thinking right like a dog that worries a bone. That's what we used to call it. Dog take a bone, go out and gnaw that thing for hours. How many times have I done that? It's like I get in a proverbial loop and I can't break it. It's like a dog worrying a bone, aggressively gnawing at it constantly living with it with no idea to how to resolve it. That's not God's will for your life. You need to give it to Jesus. See, the enemy has plans and it's, and it's for you to have pending doom. The way he does that, he gets in your thought life. And if he can get in your thought life, then he can steal your joy. He can steal your faith. He can come after everything that is valuable to you. The beauty is you can control your thoughts. That is, this is, you can control. When, G, when the Lord says take every thought captive, that means that you can take every thought captive. Jesus wouldn't tell you to do something you could not do. Philippians 4.8. This is, this is good. This, this, is, this is where you, you come out of the worry. Philippians 4 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything worthy of praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't think about the bad. Don't think about the accusations, the things people say. People said something bad about me on Facebook. Think about the good things. If you can't think about the good things, then just, you know, well, you can't. you got to think about something. But train your mind. See, your mind is mental real estate. And the enemy wants to move in, take over, and take squatter rights. He wants as much territory as he can get. And often our minds become full of thorns instead of the promises of God. We must monitor our thoughts. Your thoughts control your mood. Your thoughts control your attitude. Your thoughts create, create uh, in your, what I call the imagination that you can hear from God, that new creative thing that you need to build, be a part of. See doors of opportunity because you wear your attitude on the outside. Listen, it's a signpost for you. Everywhere you go, it's saying, hey, I am seven, such a great day, or hey, my life is not good. And everybody knows it when you walk in the room because they're looking for someone else to talk to because here you come. See, all the thoughts come after us because we, we must take them 
captive. We have to renew our mind with the Word of God because the adversary walks around as a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. The only way you can have faith is to say, something good's going to happen. When the enemy says you're going to get laid off, says, I'm going to get a promotion. Amen. The doctor gave me a bad report. I'm healed. Hallelujah. I'll live and not die. Amen. And so often this really comes easy, but see the thing is, is that what I found out in, in what I, spiritual warfare is you can know the truth and you can know that the enemy's telling you a lie and it still affects your emotions. It still hits you like it's the truth. And you must quote the Word of God until your emotions line up with what God's Word says. Yeah. So you, you listen, when the doctor gives you a bad report, do you feel sad? Absolutely. Do you feel like your life's going to go over? Over? Yes. But your spirit, man, grabs a hold of something that's greater, and you say, no, I'll live and not die. Inwardly, your emotions go, oh, you're going to die. Oh, shut up. Shut up. I'm not going to die. I'll live and not die and declare the works of God. See, your emotions, man, I found out that that is the biggest thing. What do you do? Quote the Word of God until your emotions say that's true. Amen. The beauty of it is, is that when we take back real, mental illustrate, and, uh, see, I have, I got to get this done, man. Oh man, Lord Jesus, I'm finishing up. I pray. I, I told you I'm going to. I've got. I, had, I haven't hit my main point yet. <laughs> I got to go. God bless you. It's been a while since I preached. <laughs> And you're a fun crowd to preach to. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So whatever negative thought you're having, do the opposite. Because you think God's not giving that. Now then, here we go. Matthew 6, 25 through 26. I want you to become an orthologist. I'm not going to say it right. An orthologist. That is a bird watcher. That is, this is how you build your faith. Become a bird watcher. Get you a cup of coffee and go out, sit down, and watch the birds and build your faith. Listen. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Jesus is speaking. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? So today, are you more valuable than a bird? Come on, say it out loud. Are you more valuable than a bird? All right. So I know the Amplified Bible that says, Amplified Bible says this, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Jesus tells us, do not worry, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Are you not more valuable than a bird? Birds don't have a bank account. Birds don't have a grocery store. They can't store food in the barn. This is why we watch them. Because birds wake up every morning broke, hungry, and singing about it. Yeah. 
bird watching 101. When it seems like there is no way, get you a cup of coffee. Go outside, sit down, and watch the birds. Even the vultures, gosh, they, I, they hadn't seen the pole furniture and vultures over there. Buzzards are they're dying by the groves, they're starving to death. You see any birds dying around here starving to death? Nope, nope. So if you've been drunken and worried this morning, it's time to sober up. Sober up. The adversary has been exposed. He's been lying to you. And then my last scripture, I think, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, and I'm closing. Jesus says, come to me, all who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And here it is. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If life's hard for you, you're doing something wrong. That's why we hate the devil so much. Because he throws things at us again and again and again until it becomes almost unbearable. And we think that we've got, we can figure it out. And it comes back to simplicity. I can't figure it out. I don't know why this stuff happens. I don't know. All I know is this. All this pressure, even if it's self-inflicted, I'm giving it to Jesus. I don't want it anymore. I'm tired of it. Jesus is inviting you to give you everything Give him everything this morning which concerns you. He's your burden bearer. Struggling with sickness, depression, whatever conditions cause you to worry, to be fearful, this morning is the morning that you give, give to Jesus. He's here. You want a prophetic word? I'm giving you one. Jesus is here. And he's willing to take every burden, every difficulty. It's time. It's affecting your mood. Affecting your job, your marriage. It's just time to get rid of it. Cast your care over onto Jesus. This could be basically says this. Don't be intoxicated on a worry. Be alert. Your enemy, your opponent in a lawsuit, the devil attempts to put fear in your heart by roaring accusations in your ear. He's attempting to devour you by bullying you with fear and what could be. His plan is to weigh you down with worry. But you resist and stand against him steadfast and unwavering in faith. Let's stand to our feet. Amen. God bless you. Sorry I went so long. Thank you.